Doesn't get much sweeter than that, does it? That is just a sweet time. I am so glad that you're here today. I want to give you a little bit of uh, just information for a moment. Um, one is, you've probably read the bulletin a little bit. There's an insert uh, that lets you know we're going to give it a shot, a little bit of a, uh, a worship um, time during the summer, summer worship opportunities. So, so we're going to move to an 8.30 traditional service, uh, a 9.45 Sunday school hour, and then a 10, or an 11 o'clock uh, contemporary worship service. And we're excited about that. We know uh, some of you are one of those people who you enjoy maybe um, either traditional worship, you want to sing some hymns, the old rugged cross, and some songs like that, we want to provide that opportunity for you. There's others who would like to sing uh, some more contemporary stuff than we currently sing, and we get that, we understand that, so uh, we're just going to give it a shot for the summer. That's going to start on June the 9th, so it's just two weeks away. Uh, we've just uh, been talking about it, been praying about it, and, uh, and so we're going to give it a shot for the summer. So hopefully you'll find an opportunity uh, a way for you to worship. That's our goal this summer is to provide opportunities for you to worship, to lift high the name of Jesus. And, uh, and so we're excited about that. Maybe you don't even care about music, but you'd rather be here early and get out early so you can go to brunch than cool, come at 8.30. Maybe you don't care about that music style, and so maybe you want to sleep in late, then go to brunch, and then come to worship. Well, guess what? You can do that too. So uh, we're excited just to be able to offer that to you. The other thing, uh, just a reminder, is next week, June the 2nd, we're having a church picnic at Oscar Fraser Park. So I just encourage people, it will be casual in the room next week, so come casual Come dressed casual, um, whatever you'd like to wear to the picnic, just wear next week, or just bring a change of clothes. If you don't want to wear the casual, that's okay. So you'll be able to change clothes and head to Oscar Fraser Park after the second service, and uh, we're just going to enjoy time together with hamburgers and hot dogs and uh, just a picnic. Bring a chair for you, you to sit in. We're not providing tables and chairs, so bring a chair, bring a blanket. Um, just come and enjoy some time together um, as a family. So um, that's two pieces of information. Uh, just for you. So uh, I'm glad you're here. It's a great day. It's a fun day. You're not going to like me when it's all over, and I'm grateful for that. So um, what I'd like for everybody to do right now, just as a, uh, because you need to, is I want you to pull out your wallet, or I want you to pull out your, uh, your checkbook or your purse. Go ahead and pull it out, because you need to have a conversation with your wallet. And you need to have a conversation. I know some of you are like, what is he? We're talking about money today, okay? So you got to bear with me. you got to have a conversation with your wallet your checkbook, um, and just, just be real honest and say, listen, we're going to talk about our relationship today. And then you got to use the phrase that you used on your kids when they were growing up, and you got to say, and this is going to hurt me more than it's going to hurt you. Okay? You need to have that conversation because we're going to talk about money today, and, um, and it makes us uncomfortable. Uh, it makes us uncomfortable to, to have that conversation, to have anybody tell us anything about money. I know maybe you're maybe my age or thereabouts, and you get uncomfortable when maybe your parents start talking to you about money, or, or maybe you get uncomfortable when you have to ask for money at different times. But um, the truth is in our life that money and the conversation about money makes us uncomfortable because money is tied to our hearts. It's tied to our hearts, and because it's tied to our hearts, it makes the conversations about money very difficult to have. Because it's very personal. And honestly, when something becomes that personal to us, we look at it and we think, that's too personal. And I don't believe that that person, whoever it is that's having that conversation with us, should have um, the opportunity to get all up in my business. And when we start talking about your money and your checkbooks and your wallets, we're getting all up in your business. 
and you don't like it, and it makes us uncomfortable. But today, we're all going to be a little uncomfortable. Some of you, I can see the look on your face right now. You, if, if I had a camera and could just pull everybody right now, some of you are, I mean, some of you are like boiling red mad, like, I can't believe I came and he's going to talk about money. And I, and I say this, I go back um, to the, kind of the conversation I have with, from time to time with people is when you, when you begin to preach through the Bible, you're going to come across some conversations about money. And they're going to be difficult. And they're going to be complicated. And they're going to frustrate us. Because there's one thing that Jesus knew, and that is that money is tied to our hearts. And you've heard it said how many times that, you know, if somebody were to look at your checkbook, they would tell you where your heart is. And the truth for a lot of us is that our hearts are in the world. And when we look at our checkbooks, you begin to see that. We come across an interesting story today in Genesis chapter 14. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Genesis chapter 14, and um, we'll get to, to uh, verse 17 in just a few minutes, because the truth is, when you, when you approach the subject of money in the life of a church and in this room, however many people are in this room, if there's a little over 200 people, right about 200 people in this room, there's different types of givers here. There's different types of people and how they um, give in the life of the church. And one type of person is that you're, you might be here, you might be a consumer. And, and by a consumer, I don't mean a consumer like you have in the world. A consumer in the world is somebody who you enjoy the things of the world, so you're willing to pay for the things of the world and, and therefore enjoy them. So it's kind of like you see the television. We went into Sam's a couple of weeks ago on the island. Uh, I don't even remember why. And um, we went in there, and I had to just take a break for a moment to look at the 70-inch plasma tv anybody else see that one in there yes you just walk in and and i just said uh, my wife was looking at something and she finished and i said wait a minute we just got to walk over here for a second i just got to see and 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 you just look and that's me that's kind of i, I love uh, that type of stuff i'm not you know that's just who i am and some a lot of you are like that too so don't don't get mad at me but you have the consumer is if i wanted that guess what i got to pay for it well you should some people will steal it but that's not a good idea and that's the, the world's idea of consumerism. But in the church, my definition of somebody who's a consumer is this. I, there's people who come to church. They're, they're members here. They're regular attenders here. They've basically somewhat immersed themselves, if I could use that word, into the church culture. They're here regularly. But they're consumers in that they don't give financially at all to support the life of the church. They're just consumers. They're consuming the ministries. They're consuming the life of the church, but they're not giving anything back. And, and that's one type of person. And some of you in this room are that kind of person, and you might be really, really uncomfortable right now. In fact, you might even be really mad at me right now. And that's okay. That's okay for you to be mad at me right now. Um, the second type of person in, in the room are what I would term donors. And, and donors are people who don't give regularly or systematically in the life of the church, and I'll talk about that in a minute, but they will donate to a particular cause or a particular need. And so they might hear when we start promoting uh, North American missions, and so they may choose to give 
to support North American missions. Or they may hear of international missions with our Lottie Moon Christmas offering, and they may choose to support, they may donate towards that. They may read in the bulletin about um, children's camp and youth camp, and so they may choose to donate towards that. Or they might even be the kind of person that would give even regularly, but they want to choose what they give to. And so they just kind of pick and choose. They want to support this ministry or that ministry or this deal or that fund. And so what they do is they give, they just donate. They donate. They don't give, they just donate. And they're able to say, I want to control where my money goes. And so I will do it through a donation. And there's people like that in this room. And some of you are probably mad at me right now. Like, I can't believe he identified me. He, he knows. And I don't know. Don't get going on that. I'm just saying that there's people that are like that. They donate towards things. And then there's people that we would term and they would be tithers. Um, these are people who, I use the phrase, and I try to re- repeat that so you get it, is they give regularly and systematically into the life of the church. For most tithers, it's 10%. They've, they've identified a, a 10% in the Bible, and they, so they give 10%, and that's what they give. They've decided that, they've done that, they've been doing it for years, so they're tithers. I would also phrase it to be people who give regularly and systematically, because I believe there are people who give regularly and systematically, but they're not necessarily tithers, but they're more than donators. But they, they do, they give regularly, they give systematically. It might not be 10%, it might be 7%, it might be 8%, or it might be 11% or 12%, but they've, they've decided that they're going to give this amount of money and they do it on a regular basis. And so I call those people, I call them tithers. The, the fourth group of people in the life of the church are what I would call givers, um, these are people who, who give beyond. They, they have set themselves up on a regular giving schedule. Like I said, it could be 10%, could be 11 could be 7 I, I don't know. But they set themselves up on a regular giving schedule, but then they, they are always willing to then give above that as a need is brought forth, or even as God may bless them with more, they will give more. Um, but those people are who I would consider to be givers, and there's, there's several of you in this room, and you're like that. You give regularly, and you give systematically, but then when there's a need, you are, you are some of the first people in line to give towards a need. You're some of the first people that would write checks to help support kids going to camp or would help support a need that we may have going on around our campus or uh, a mission that we would support, but you're giving above. I would call those people givers. Then the fifth category of people are who I would consider to be generous givers. These are people who are like over-the-top givers. Um, they're, uh, not, and that, that doesn't necessarily mean that they're wealthy. It just means that they are people who are incredibly generous when it comes to um, they give regularly, they give systematically. They, they're people that are writing those checks for camp spots or people that are writing those checks for, uh, for other needs that we have. But they're also people, the first one time that they hear of a need, that somebody has a financial need or a financial burden, I mean, they are the first ones there and they're writing a check. And I would call those people, they're generous givers. And there's five categories. And so when you look at those five categories, this is what I want you to do this morning. And this is what is going to make you a little uncomfortable. I want you to identify which one of those you are. (gasps) Pastor, now you're getting all up in my business. Yes, I am. And here's what I would just encourage you to do. Just identify yourself. It's okay. It's okay, whichever one of those you are. And I'm not, I'm not saying that, you know, I don't want you to give more because I do. I want you to give more. I want you to experience what God has for you. But it's going to start by you identifying which one of those you are. 
And as you identify which one of those you are, then get to the place where you're asking God to teach you something today. What a novel concept at times to actually show up and go, okay, God, teach me something. But that's what I want you to do. Take a moment. You can write it on like the top corner of your paper. Like you can hide it so nobody can see it. And you can write, I'm a consumer. Or maybe you don't even want to write it on the corner, so flip it over right on the back and nobody will see it. But identify which one of those you are. And then ask God that he would move in your heart today that you would hear from him and what he has to say about money and finances and wealth. Because there's a lot to say. And we're going to come across just a few verses today which tell an incredible story about somebody who gave. And now that I've introduced you to what we're talking about, I'm going to have a word of prayer and give you an opportunity to pray and ask God to move in your heart. Let's pray. Father, today is a difficult conversation. Um, we know that money is tied to our hearts. I, I know it is in my life. Um, I know that this, this makes me uncomfortable. God, it makes most people in this room uncomfortable, and I'm okay with that. I like being uncomfortable in your presence. But God, I also know that in my life that you're teaching me so much, and I know you're teaching us, and this is part of the journey. So help us on our journey, God, to be more faithful. God, to identify things in our life that need to change, that need to be different so that we can walk more closely with you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We've been talking about Abraham, and when we introduced Abraham, we were talking about faith. Way back in Genesis, the end of Genesis chapter 11, beginning of Genesis chapter 12, um, you're introduced to Abraham. We talk about him being a great man of faith. The writer of Hebrews has more really to say about Abraham in the chapter on faith than he does about any one individual. He says more about Abraham. He was an incredible man of faith. And one thing we've learned about his faith journey is that sometimes he, he has these peaks and valleys on his faith journey. Sometimes he, he's riding the mountaintops and he's a man of incredible faith. And there's other times that he sinks down into a valley and he's a man of weak faith. But that there are lessons that we learn from his life, and there are things that we pull out and we go, there's something for me here. I hope that you approach your reading of the Bible that way, that you're, you're asking yourself, what's in this for me? And in this particular passage, I'm going to tell you, it's a little awkward. Um, it's, a, it's, it's actually even a little bit weird when you approach this, this passage of Scripture because there's this king that appears virtually out of nowhere. It's like there's no mention of him prior to this. There's very little mention of him after this in the Old Testament. There's some mention of him in the New Testament. There's one reference to him or two references to him in the book of Psalms, but there's very little reference to this guy named Melchizedek. Very little reference. So it's like he appears out of nowhere, and this, this really neat story develops in the midst of this. And the reality of it is, for us, it is a story about giving. It is a story that is going to deal with your wealth. And by wealth, I would include even more than your finances. You see, some people have narrowed down the idea of giving just down to your finances. But really, it's more than that. You're talking about your wealth. We're talking about everything that you have, everything that you own, everything that you've accumulated, everything that you possess gets brought into the picture. And there's a great picture 
for us in Genesis chapter 14. And the idea is this. In your life and in my life that we have to, I say it this way, phrase it, don't worship your wealth, but worship with your wealth. Okay, those are your fill in the blanks on the top of the pages. Don't worship your wealth, worship with your wealth. Don't worship your wealth. Don't worship your possessions. Don't worship the things that you've accumulated. Don't give them glory. Don't give them honor. Don't place them to a, don't set them in a place of honor in your life. Don't worship them. Don't ascribe to them the worth and glory that you think is due them. Don't make your life all about your wealth and your possessions and the things that you accumulate. Instead, worship with your wealth. Worship with your possessions. Worship with your finances, meaning worship God with those things. Ascribe to God the worth and the glory that is due him through the things that you have, through the things that will get there he has actually given you. So don't worship your wealth, but learn to worship with your wealth. That's a very tough lesson for us to learn because we are a people who do worship. Now, you may be set aside maybe an hour or two hours a week that you gather in a place. Maybe you're a part of this church. Maybe you're part of another one. But you worship um, in that local place, and you've set aside that time to worship. But what I would say is you can learn to worship beyond it and then stop worshiping your wealth and worship with your wealth. Worship with the things God has blessed you with. Open up your home to influence people for the kingdom of God. Open up and loan your car out to somebody and bless them. I know it seems like a novel idea, but you know what? You can do it. You want to talk about worship? That's what we're talking about. Don't worship your wealth. Worship with your wealth. This is what happens in Genesis chapter 14. You remember, if you were here last week, we talked a little bit about this. Um, um, Lot had decided to move close to the city of Sodom. And what we find out even later is that he actually moved into the city of Sodom. And then he was taken captive um, by these four kings. I'm not going to read their names again, but four kings rose up against five kings, and Ketelamar was leader of the four kings. And he wound up with his band of merry men, so to speak, if I can use that. Um, he, he gathered up Lot, and he gathered up all of these other people and took them into captivity, marched them away from Sodom, took them. Just, just straight up took him. Word got back to Abram. Abram then took his, it tells us in Scripture, that he took his 318 trained men who were born in his household, and he went down after Lot. That's a good kind of person to have. If you were here last week, we talked about how we need Abrams in our life. Everybody needs an Uncle Abram in their life, somebody that will come after them, somebody that will watch out for them. Uh, you know what I mean? And so it's just one of those things where we need that in our life, and Abram did that. He took his men, went down there, got Lot back, brought him back, brought the people back, brought the possessions back. And then this is where we're at today. We have this encounter, Abram does, with two kings. He has this encounter with two kings, and this is what, what happens in Genesis chapter 14, beginning in verse 17. Okay? He says this, Then after his return from the defeat of Ketelamar and the kings who were with him, the king of Sodom went out to meet him at the valley of Shava, that is the king's valley, and Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. Now he was a priest 
of God Most High. And I, I, I love that. Uh, and the more that I've just read this, it's just been one of those things that's a, a, a beautiful, that's a beautiful piece to this. Is that Melchizedek was um, the priest, a priest of God Most High. You got, you got to remember, there were probably a lot of days where Abram felt all by himself. There were a lot of days that Abram felt like he was the only one. You know what I'm saying? I mean, he was the guy. I mean, he was out there. He was trying to follow God. He was trying to be a man of faith. He was trying to walk in faith. And so he was there, and he would build an altar, and he would get after God, and surely some of the people that were with him in his home, they would help him. They would get after They would offer those sacrifices. They would worship at those altars. They would do those things with him. But, I mean, in the context of all the world, don't you think there came a point where he just felt all by himself? I would imagine that he did. But here he comes outside of this, on the other side of this great battle in which he, he won and he was successful, and he comes across Melchizedek. No mention to him before. And in Abram's life, no mention to him afterwards. But Scripture tells us that he was a priest of God Most High, a representative, a minister of God Most High. And it must have been, to me, it would have been almost this sigh of relief. Like, wow, somebody else who gets it. Somebody else who worships. Somebody else who walks. Somebody else who builds altars like I do. How refreshing it must have been to have come across Melchizedek. But he was a priest. And it says this, he blessed him. Melchizedek blesses Abram. Listen to what he says. Blessed be Abram of God Most High, possessor of heaven and earth. And blessed be God Most High, who has delivered your enemies into your hands. Now here's, here's where it gets to giving. It's just, a few, it's just a few words. He gave a tenth of all. He gave him a tenth of all. Abram gave Melchizedek a tenth of everything. Now, because half of you are falling asleep, I want you to say the word everything. He gave him a tenth of everything. He gave him a tenth of everything. Now, we talked about how wealthy Abram was. Now, some of you are wealthy like that. I mean, we're all wealthy in this room compared to the world. I want you to understand that. But like some of you are like Abram wealthy. You're like Abram type wealthy. I mean, this guy we talked about, he, 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 it mentions in Scripture that he had camels. Well, camels had just become this domesticated animal that were used for transportation by the wealthiest, the elite of the elite. And he had, it says, more than one. So, I mean, it just, I want you to get your head around that. I mean, that's like, I, I told you a few weeks ago, I mean, that's like the Bentley that you might come across one day on the road. That's like those really elite cars that you don't see many of them. From time to time, you might see one of them, and you're probably like me, and you're like, oh, wow. That was like that growing up. I, I, and I still am. The Dodge Vipers. Anybody, anybody you know Dodge Vipers? I mean, I, I always had a picture of one of those in my locker in high school. And so there's a few of them roaming around in this area. And every time I see one, I'm like, 
if they're in the parking lot, I got to walk up right next to it and just kind of be in its presence. But um, that's the idea. I mean, you're talking about Abram being the elite of the elite, the wealthy of the wealthy. And here he shows up. He enters into the presence of Melchizedek, a minister, a priest of God Most High. And Melchizedek reminds him, okay, he reminds him, everything you have is God's. And by the way, you're not as smart as you think you are. You're not as talented as you think you are. You're not as strong as you think you are because that battle you just won was won because of God. And Abraham goes, here's a tenth. Here's a tenth. The king of Sodom said to Abram, give the people to me and take the goods for yourself. And Abram said to the king of Sodom, I have sworn to the Lord God most high, possessor of heaven and earth, that I will not take a thread or a sandal thong or anything that is yours for fear you would say I have made Abram rich. I will take nothing except what the young men have eaten and the share of the men who went with me. Aner, Eskol, and Mamre, let them take their share. And it's just, and then next chapter, it's, it's almost like nothing, it's just like, we're just moving on in the story, the next piece to it. But these verses are so powerful when you talk about the subject of giving. They're so powerful when you, talk, when you think of the subject and the idea of we don't worship our wealth, but we worship with our wealth. We worship with the things that God has given us that he's blessed us with financially and materially. I mean, we worship with these things. It's not wrong to have those things, by the way. Some people, um, there's kind of that movement out there right now where you've got to sell everything you have. Well, there's nothing wrong with having those things. There's nothing wrong with, with even having wealth and money. There's nothing wrong with those things. I know people misquote the verse a lot where they say, money's the root of all evil. No, 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 no that, that's not. That's not what that verse says. The verse says the love of money is the root of all evil. So it, it, it don't, you, you got to understand that it, there's, there's more to it. It's not wrong to have these things. Abram was incredibly wealthy, and he responds. And so I, w- I want to look at three ways and three things that giving does for us in our life. Three things, and that, that's where we're at. Don't worship your wealth, but worship with your wealth because this. The first one is this, that worship or giving is a celebration. Giving is celebration. Giving is a celebration. It's an act of celebration. Here's, 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 here's to pull out of, of, of the text for this. When Melchizedek opens his mouth, he says, blessed be Abram. Of who? Of God most high. But see, then the next part of this is, is he says, by the way, God is the possessor of heaven and earth. Sounds a little bit like a psalm I heard years ago, Psalm 24. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. Melchizedek is reminding Abram of something. And he's reminding him of a great truth. That everything is God's. He is the possessor of all things. He is the possessor of heaven and earth. That that makes us feel a little bit uncomfortable, honestly, because we live in a world where if if it's ours, it's ours. Or even if I'm holding it, it's mine, right? 
I mean, that's the world of my kids. It's like I'm borrowing daddy's iPad, but um, if I'm holding it, it's mine. And so we like to be the possessor of things. We like them to be in our um, possession, that we have control of them. But what, what Melchizedek is reminding Abram is like, blessed be Abram of God, most high possessor of heaven and earth. And now let's also take it a step further and say, and now blessed be God, most high. What's he say? Who has delivered your enemies into your hands. Delivered your enemies. How would you like that to come off of the battlefield? Feeling pretty good about yourself, by the way. Because why? Well, you just won. You just won the battle. And you encounter Melchizedek, priest of God Most High, and he says, blessed be you um, of God Most High, who's the possessor of heaven and earth, but blessed be God Most High, who basically just defeated the battle of the people that you just fought against. It wasn't you. It wasn't how smart you were. It wasn't how intelligent you were. It wasn't how wise you were. It wasn't how battle um, savvy you were. It wasn't how well-trained your men were. It doesn't, none of those things matter, because why? It says that God won the battle. And and. and out of response to that, Abram gives him a tenth of everything. And to me, it's a beautiful picture of us in our life celebrating what God has done for us. And, and I wonder today, what's going on in your life worth celebrating? You might be sitting there going, I, I, don't, I don't really have anything. And I would encourage you to, to dig a little bit deeper in that. Because everybody in this room has something worth celebrating. Your life may not be exactly what you had planned, and you may not have achieved everything that you hoped that you had achieved, and you might not even possess all of the things that you hoped to possess. But you have something in this room worth celebrating. And giving is an act of celebration. Giving is an act of celebration. Gives an act, right out of this, right out of Melchizedek speaking, Abram gives, being reminded that God, is, God owns everything and God has won the battle for him. He says, I'm, I'm giving a tenth of everything that I have. So what do you have in your life today worth celebrating? And maybe, maybe what you've got to do in your life is you've got to take a moment and you've got to write that check. Offerings at the end of the service, that's on purpose. And on that check, you might just need to remind yourself, I'm giving to celebrate God's faithfulness. I'm giving to celebrate God's provision. I'm giving to celebrate the things. I don't know what it is for you. I know that giving needs to be and should be for you an act of celebration. An act of being reminded that the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. An act of celebration and reminder that um, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. He's the possessor of heaven and earth and he, by the way, went down and won the battle for you. When you were held captive in sin and when you were dead in your transgressions and sin he made you alive in Christ by grace we have been saved Ephesians chapter 2 what in your life 
is worth celebrating. I've told you and admitted to you that um, I'm, I'm a Disney World fan, I'm kind of unapologetic about that. My, my kids actually right now continue to ask when we're going back to Mickey's house. Um, they have, one of my favorite things to do there is sit and watch the parade, kind of in the middle of the day. They call it the Move It, Shake It, Celebrate It Parade. And I don't know if you've ever seen it. If you haven't, go, go watch it on YouTube. It's a pretty cool thing. They bring out all the, the, the characters, and they parade them around and on Main Street in the circle there, and, and, and they're singing this song. But the guy's asking the question, what are you here celebrating? Are you here celebrating a birthday? Is it your anniversary? Is it your first time at Disney? What, whatever it is, what are you celebrating? And, and I want to ask you the same question about in, in your giving. What are you celebrating? It's okay. What are you celebrating? What can you write on the check? I'm celebrating. Listen, your life may, you may feel like it's falling apart, but what is it that you have to celebrate today? So that you can give as an act of celebration for what God has done in your life. The second thing that you see in the midst of this is that giving supports the kingdom. Giving supports the kingdom, and really what you see is, is who does Abram give to? Well, Abram didn't give to the king, of Salem, or the king of Sodom. He didn't give to the king of Gomorrah. He didn't, get, he didn't give to Ketelamar after he whooped him in battle. No. He comes and he encounters Melchizedek, priest of God Most High, and after receiving this blessing, these words spoken over him, he responds by giving for the kingdom. And you could say in this, the kingdom of Melchizedek, the king of righteousness, which is what Melchizedek means, but the, the reality of it is when you look at it, he gave for the kingdom. And, and what I would encourage you with in your life is that you need to give for kingdom purposes. Which means, and let me translate this in, in today's language and in New Testament times, which, by the way, is the local church. It really is the local church. I know some of you may want to support this charity and that charity and that charity and that charity, but when you really dig down into what Scripture is talking about, the advancement of the kingdom and God's plan for the kingdom is the local church. Matthew chapter 16, Jesus references the local church he, he basically institutes it, and it's his plan to use the local church to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. So in your giving, if you want to respond with kingdom giving, the first step to giving is in the local church. I know, some of you may want to argue that with me. But I think when you dig into Scripture and you will look at the references to money, especially getting into the New Testament, you'll begin to understand that we need to give towards the kingdom. And that's what Abram did. He takes a tenth of all of his wealth, all of it, not just a tenth of the paycheck he got that week or that month, a tenth of all of his wealth, and he responds by giving it to the king. Here, all of it. Here, I got 15 sheep. I'll give you one and a half of them. I don't know how that went. Not sure. Not sure how they divided up that kind of stuff. But he gave them a tenth of all of it. Here's all my wealth. Boom, you have it. I got 10 camels here. Take one of them. 
I got 20 of them here. Take two of them. He divided up a tenth, and he just gave it for the kingdom. Once you begin to understand giving is an act of celebration, and now it's, it's about the kingdom. I, I don't know where you are like in your giving. I don't know where you are in your belief about that, but Jesus is the head of the church. The church is the bride of Christ. And if you're going to give, that needs to be first. And that makes some of you a little uncomfortable. It makes some of you cringe. It makes some of you want to hide your head, maybe even in shame, or you might want to get mad. I don't know, but I know it makes most of us uncomfortable. But the truth is that we need to give to support the kingdom in the advancement of the gospel. And I love the way Paul in the New Testament, as he would lay that out, as he would even lay out giving and generous giving, and he would talk about even the gifts that people gave for the advancement of the gospel. And I mean, it is just a beautiful thing to say, I'm giving for the kingdom. It's not, it's not giving for this particular, that. No, it's, I'm giving for the kingdom. I'm giving for the kingdom. Giving to support. Giving because I believe the local church is God's hope. Not God's hope, but God's plan to bring hope to the world. That's what we're to do. And if you believe in it, you give towards it to support the kingdom. He gave him a tenth of all of it. Last thing for you. And in a minute, I'm going to let you, you know, write a check. Giving puts things in perspective. Giving puts things in perspective for us. You see, you and I are in a battle every day. Flesh versus the Spirit. The world versus the things of God. We're in that battle every day, and we make decisions every day with that. And and when I say that giving puts things in perspective, what happens in Abram's life in this, and I've already read the whole text, so let me just kind of bring you up to speed on some of these things. Melchizedek means king of righteousness. Melchizedek means righteousness, and so he's king of righteousness. The the place that he's, he's from, Salem, means peace. Sodom, who's the other king that comes after Abram in this text, Sodom means burning. So you have two different things that go on here. You have the king of righteousness, who interestingly enough, Abram gives a tenth of everything. You have the king of Sodom, the king of burning, so to speak, who is offering Abram a tenth of everything. And it kind of puts things in perspective here that Abram is willing to give up a tenth in response to Melchizedek, but he's willing to say, I don't want what you have. He looks at the king of Sodom and he says, I don't want what you have. I don't want what you're offering because I don't want for you to be able to say, hey, look, I made Abram wealthy. 
Abram says, I don't want that from you. I don't want you to be able to say those things about me because I want to say those things because God is the one who has given me these things and I want to make sure that I'm keeping it that way. And so I don't want what it is that you have to offer. And in this In this text, what you see is the battle that we face every day of we're going to choose God or the world, God or the world, God or the world. And that's the battle we find ourselves in every day of our lives. And in this moment, Abram says, I'm choosing God. And he puts it in the perspective of I'm choosing God. Not only am I choosing God, but I'm giving to God. A tenth of everything that I own, everything that I have of all my wealth, I'm giving it to him. And when he approaches the king of Sodom, he says, I don't want what you have to offer. I will only have the food that we've basically has already been eaten, or I will have what is due these three men that came with me in battle. But as for me, I don't want it. And the idea, when I, when I dig into this, is we've got to get the right perspective of things in our life. And I don't know what your perspective is, but I know that you're like me and that you're in a battle. You're in a battle and you're trying to figure those things out and where does your allegiance lie and what are you going to do and you're gonna, you might walk out of here and you might just say, you know what, that's another message I'm giving and I don't want to give anything. And I will say shame on you because I believe that when you look at Scripture and you begin to see that, that God has given you much and He is the possessor of everything, that, that that should demand, it should conjure up in you some kind of a response. You should be on some kind of a faith journey. And friends, if you're not giving financially at all, then I would say that you don't have a whole lot of faith. And you might say, well, I have good reasons not to give. No, you don't. Not when you're on a faith journey. Not when you're walking with Jesus. Not when you're supposed to be growing in your faith and growing in your relationship. You don't have an excuse to not give. You should be giving regularly and systematically and generously and graciously and all of those things. You should be giving above and beyond. But my encouragement from you, for you, is that you start somewhere. Just start somewhere. I had you identify, maybe you did, maybe you didn't. Most of you didn't because you don't want to. You're stubborn people like that. I had you identify which one of those five are you. You consumer? You a consumer? Are you a donor? You a tither? Are you a giver? Are you a generous giver? And now here's my invitation for you. Step it up a notch. Step it up a notch. Whatever that looks like for you. What, what, if, you're, if you don't give anything, start giving something. If you donate, then step it up to give regularly and systematically. If you give regularly and systematically, step it up to be 
a bigger giver. If you are a pretty good giver, a big giver, then step it up and learn to be generous. Because why? Because God has been generous with you. Need I remind you, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. It's not yours anyway. It's not yours. He owns it. He lets you use it. Don't worship your wealth. Worship with your wealth. Wealth. A guy named Alan Danielson, I read an article by him, and I thought this was really good. He says this. Here's a fun exercise, he wrote. Write an imaginary verse of Scripture about your own generosity and ask if it truly fits in the Bible. Write a verse about your current generosity and see if it fits in the Bible. And he says, here's what I wrote about myself. Alan brought 10% of his income to the church, (laughs) and he donated a stroller and some exercise equipment he never used to the church garage sale. That's what he wrote. Just, what would you write? If you were to write an imaginary verse of Scripture about your own current giving, what would it say? And then my challenge to you is to step it up. Because I know that there are some that are struggling financially, one of the things that we've been talking about and praying about for a while is the need for us as a people to get financially healthy. And so in your bulletin, you notice that on the back side of the announcement about our summer worship schedule is also an invitation for you, you to be a part of Financial Peace University, which is offered by Dave Ramsey. We're going to host that beginning July the 11th. And, uh, and my prayer is that if you're struggling, or even if you're not, if you want to be taught or learn some biblical principles about, about giving and biblical principles about money and how to manage your money, I just encourage you to be a part of that. All the information is available um, on a website, which if you'll call the church office, that they would be happy to give to you. Or if you go to our website, there'll be a link that you'll be able to click on. It will take you over there, tell you everything that you need to know. But that's, that would be step one. If you're sitting there going, I couldn't give a dime right now, and it would just it would crash me, then guess what? then take the step and enroll in Financial Peace University. Maybe for some of you, though, it's about taking the next step and that level of giving to say, I'm going to take a step of faith. I'm going to give as an act of celebration. I'm going to give to advance the kingdom. I'm going to give to put things in perspective that this is God, it's not mine. I'm going to give. I'm not going to worship my wealth anymore, but I'm going to learn to worship with my wealth. So our ushers are going to move forward. I'm going to pray. We're going to stand and sing a song, an invitation. I'll be down front if you want to pray. They're going to move about, receive your offerings, and, uh, and then we'll be able to close our time together. So stand with me if you would. I want you to stand because I want easy access to your wallets. Laugh with me. You're on a journey. It's okay. Easy access to your wallets. If you need a few minutes to write out a check, catch one of the guys at the end, it's okay. Let's pray together. Father, Lord, you know how difficult this conversation, this message has been for me. You know my own struggles with money. Uh, But God, you have been incredibly gracious to me. You've been incredibly gracious to us as your people. Help us in response to be gracious and to be generous. You are so good and kind. And we give you praise and glory in Jesus' name. Amen.